This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chain or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Billy Graham, in his autobiography, Just As I Am, told a story about how one of the wealthiest men in the world invited him and his wife Ruth to a Caribbean island which this wealthy man owned. And while they were sitting at dinner together, this wealthy man with tears expressed his sadness about how lonely and sad and unfulfilled he was. He said, here I have helicopters and a yacht and planes at my disposal. I could go anywhere in the world. I have all that anyone could ever ask for, and I'm inwardly unfulfilled and empty. And Billy and Ruth shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with this man. While they were leaving that island, there was a Baptist pastor who came over to them, and he was filled with joy. And he had two invalid sisters that he was taking care of, and his wife had died, and he was a widower. Billy turned to Ruth and said, Who do you think is the most joyful of the two? And they didn't have to answer because they knew the answer. It was that Baptist pastor who had the joy of the Lord. So joy has nothing to do with your possessions. Joy is not external, it's internal. Someone said that happiness is an emotion. It comes and it goes. But joy is an attitude. It comes and it grows. Joy is inward. Happiness comes from the word happenstance. And it's based on your circumstance. So if your circumstances are good, you're happy. 
If your circumstances are bad, you're sad. Joy is not like that. Joy is constant. Joy is deep within. It's a sense of the presence of God. It's a holy contentment knowing that God loves you and that you're in the palm of his hands. So when Paul wrote this book to the Christians in the city of Philippi in northern Greece, he was in a prison. This is one of the prison epistles. So while he's in prison, he's writing about being joyful. This letter mentions the word joy 17 times in just four brief chapters. So you know the theme of this book is joy. Now the question is, how can we get that joy? How can we experience joy in this new year? And don't we need it? Many of us are susceptible to burnout. We're not resting well. We're uh, sensing uh, that we're not responding well to uh, things that go bad in our lives. We're feeling alone. We're feeling ragged. We're feeling overwhelmed. And there's benefits to being joyful. Did you know that joyfulness brings you into the present so you can enjoy fully the moment? Joyfulness broadens your mind and your perspective so you can see how God's working. Joy attracts others because people want to be with those who are joyful. And joy improves your health. Joy is good medicine to the bones. So we want this joy. And God has given us that prescription in his word in Philippians. And so I don't know if we're going to have a uh, slide presentation. If not, I'm just going to wing it. Philippians chapter 1. Title of the series, The Influence of Joy. Today's message is Pray with Joy. And as we go through the next five Sundays, we're going to cover these topics through the four chapters of Philippians. I pray with joy. I share good news with joy. I follow Jesus with joy. I press on with joy. And I receive blessings with joy. Now notice, this is Communion Sunday. I want you to make a mark of that. What difference did God's Word make in your life in this one month? Because of you reading and studying and praying over Philippians, the book, How did God change your life for good and give you joy? Today's message, joyful praying. praying. Pray with joy. Three points. You are forgiven and destined for glory. You are loving and sharing in grace. You are discerning and living for God. Let's look at that from the passage. First of all, would everyone say, I am forgiven and destined for joy? Uh, destined for, hold on, we're going to get there. Here we go. Let's say, I am forgiven and destined for glory. Okay. Thank you. One more time. I am forgiven and destined for glory. The reason that we can pray with joy 
is because of our partnership with one another in the good news of the gospel of forgiveness of sin through faith in Jesus Christ and God's assurance that what he begins in our lives of saving us, he will continue all the way until we get to heaven and see him face to face. What God begins, God will complete. And what do we base that on? Philippians 1, 4 through 6. Paul writes, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now imagine Paul. He's in a prison. Is it comfortable? Is it convenient? No. But he is praying always with joy. Why? Because even though he's in a prison, he's not confined in spiritual power and in love, praying for people he cares about. Now, maybe you have physical ailments. Maybe you are experiencing um, such that you don't have as much social context as you used to have. Does that confine you and prevent you from doing ministry? No. You have the ministry of prayer. Why are you still alive? Because you have the ministry of prayer. You have the privilege of joining Jesus himself in praying for other people. It says in the Bible, Romans 8, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for all the saints. So when you pray for other people, you're actually joining with Jesus in the most important ministry, intercessory prayer, praying for others. And you know what? When you pray for others, You can pray with joy, and your joy increases. Let me explain how that works. Paul, it tells us in Acts chapter 16, went to Philippi, this Roman colony, with Timothy. When he was there, he went to where the people usually gather to pray, by the river. The only people that were there were a few women, which shows they didn't even have enough of a quorum. You have to have 10 men to start a synagogue. They didn't have enough men to start a synagogue. So a few women gathered at the place of prayer by the river. One of them was Lydia, who was very wealthy. She was a businesswoman dealing in purple clothing. And that was very pricey. So she was doing well for herself. But no matter how wealthy she was, she did not have inner peace. Paul and Timothy explained the gospel to Lydia, and she trusted in Christ. That was the beginning of the church at Philippi. And she said, I insist that you come to my house, that you meet at my house, that this church begin In my house. And obviously she had a spacious home. Next, there was a slave girl. And she was possessed by a demon. And this slave girl would tell fortunes 
and these businessmen would get the money from her fortune-telling. And this demon-possessed woman followed Paul and Timothy constantly, saying, these men are from God, and they're trying to tell you the way to God. Now, you would think Paul and Timothy would like that advertisement, but not from that source. So Paul gets fed up with that. He's very annoyed. He turns around, and he exercises the demon from this slave girl. And she trusts in Christ. And the businessmen are mad because that was their source of income. So they take Paul and Timothy, Paul and Silas at this time, to the magistrates of the city, and the magistrates have them beaten and thrown into prison. While in prison, what are Paul and Silas doing? They're singing hymns of praise to God. Joy is not dependent on our circumstances. They're bringing heaven down by praising God. And what happens? An earthquake. And the earthquake opens up all the jail cells and the shackles on every prisoner breaks open. The jailer who's responsible for their uh, incarceration goes to kill himself. He's going to commit suicide because he he failed his mission. And Paul says, stop, stop, don't do that. We're all here still. None of us have escaped. And he is so taken by this miracle, he says to Paul, what must I do to be saved? And he and his whole household trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. This is the beginning of the church at Philippi. It was diverse. You had a wealthy woman. You had a slave girl. You had a blue-collar military man in the Philippian jailer. And each of these people and all the others God added to the church at Philippi were precious to Paul. Every time he thought of them, he smiled. Every time he prayed for them, He had joy in his heart. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think you do. I went as a missionary to Romania. And the week before, these teenagers had received Christ from a mission team that had gone there. And my week was to disciple them in Christ, to teach them about the Bible and the Christian life. So I spent the week loving on them, swimming with them, playing soccer with them. I gave them a soccer ball at the end of the week, and they were crying because they said, we'll never see you again. There was a bond between me and these teenagers in Romania. And when I came back to the United States, can I tell you something? I was carrying them in my heart. You know what I'm talking about? When you carry somebody in your heart, you love them so much, you have a bond with them, you wish you could be with them always and weren't separated by the miles. And when I would pray for them, I prayed for them with joy. I love them. I want the best for them. I bet this morning that you're praying for your kids and your grandkids and For some of you, your great-grandkids, because you're carrying them in your heart, aren't you? They're precious to you. You love them. You want the best for them. And that's 
the spirit of what we're talking about. The quickest route to joy is to intercede for people you love. Yes, sometimes you hear of a person who's sick in your family, and you're burdened. How can that bring joy? It brings joy because you love them. It brings joy because you believe God is working. And it brings joy because you know God is going to work out his will. You're trusting God. And there's no safer, better place than to trust God, to be in the center of his will. And so we are to pray with joy. He gives thanks for them, and he prays with joy always at every remembrance of them. They are bonded to him. He is bonded to them. They're partners in the gospel. They're forgiven, and they're telling others how to be forgiven of their sins through faith in Jesus Christ. And he's also praying with thanksgiving and joy because he knows that he who began a good work in them is faithful to complete it. That God will complete what he has done. So let's say that again. I am forgiven and destined for glory. I pray with joy because of our partnership in the gospel and God's assurance of full sanctification that God will complete what he began. Secondly, let's read this. I am loving and sharing in grace. I pray with joy because I love you with the affection of Christ, seeing that we all share in God's grace. And that's based on Philippians 1, 7, and 8. Paul writes, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Can I just say something right now? I started at this church in August. I was saying to Ruth Morch, the administrative assistant, how I feel so much a part of you. I feel like we're family. I feel that we have connected supernaturally and the dovetailing of God bringing me here just at the time when God was calling Pastor Bruce to be with his grandkids. This is of God. And I want you to know I have a special place in my heart for each and every one of you. I love you with the affection of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing. And because of that, I have a joy. You see, joy is found in relationships. God never meant any of us to be lone rangers. Even lone ranger had Tonto. God meant for us to live in relationship with each other. And as we connect with each other and pray for each other and support one another, God's joy is experienced in our lives. So Paul is the perfect example showing about his deep feelings of love and commitment to the believers in Philippi. Again, I am loving and sharing in grace 
I pray with joy because I love you with the affection of Christ, seeing that we all share in God's grace. So whether you're rich like Lydia or poor like the slave girl or somewhere in the middle like the Philippian jailer, guess what? The ground is level at the foot of the cross. At the foot of the cross, we all bow down and worship Jesus. There's no ranking. There's not, oh, this guy's a pastor or a missionary, and I'm just a lowly lay person, or I'm retired. None of that. We're children of God, by the grace of God. And we are together sharing that grace and so thankful for one another. Last point. Can you read this with me? I am discerning and living for God. I pray with joy because I want you to discern and prioritize what is best, growing in Christ-likeness to the glory of God and at Christ's return. So here's where I'm going to ask you to do something extra special. I'm going to ask you to pray for your family and to pray for this church three requests. I'm going to ask you to pray your heart out for three things for the people you love. And they all start with an A. So we're all going to be part of the, uh, the AAA club. And that stands for, we're going to pray for, abounding love. We're going to pray for abandoned waste and we're going to pray for abundant harvest. Now, I'm going to go through that. But when you think to pray for your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids, when you think to pray for Butte Bible Fellowship, I want us this year to pray for three things, the three A's. The first one, abounding love. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. When it comes right down to it, what is life all about? It's about love. When a loved one dies, even though we know we're going to see them again in heaven, why do we grieve? We grieve because we have been loved and we have loved. We grieve because we have been loved and we have loved. That's what life is about. It's about love. So when you pray for your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids, pray that they may abound in love. Not that they may abound in financial success or that they may abound in, in uh, collecting as many possessions as they can or anything like that. Pray that they may abound in love. And notice that they may abound in love with knowledge and depth of insight. I'm going to give you a phrase, and I want you to watch this phrase. Pray for your kids that they may have discerning love and loving discernment. You see, some of us have been very badly hurt. And the reason we've been hurt is because we entrusted ourselves to untrustworthy people. 
We gave our heart away to someone who stomped on it. God wants you to love and to love even your enemies. But that doesn't mean he wants you to continually subject yourself to being hurt by those who are hurtful. Does that make sense? You need to have discerning love. Even Jesus said, don't cast your pearls to swine. Don't give spiritual truths to people who are mocking the faith. You're wasting your time. It's like trying to teach, you know, a penguin how to roller skate. It's annoying to the penguin and it's aggravating to you. It's a waste of your time. The key is have discerning love and love that's discerning. All right? Second, pray for abandoned waste. When you pray for your loved ones, your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, for Butte Bible Fellowship, for me, pray that we may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now, the word discern is the same word for when you take metal and you're making metal and it's full of impurities, And you're laying the metal, A-L-L-A-Y. You're laying the metal. And there's dross that has to be pulled out. Otherwise, that metal's not going to be strong and pure. It's going to have bubbles in it, and it's going to break. It'll be brittle. So you have to allay the metal. And that is the process of abandoning or removing the bad stuff. So when you pray for your loved ones and for this church, Pray that we may abandon wasteful pursuits. That we won't put our ladder against the wrong wall. That we won't keep banging our heads doing the same old, same old that's not working for us. That instead, we'll pursue purity and sincerity of following the Lord until he returns. And that we'll look forward to the return of Christ. And that the return of Christ will be an incentive for holy living. My friends, we are living in a day where prophecies are being fulfilled and we don't even know about it. We are closer to the return of Christ now than ever before. And we need to be ready. And the way to be ready is don't waste your life. Abandon waste. Get rid of things, anything that cools your love for Jesus. The acronym JOY, J-O-Y, can stand for Jesus, others, you. But I want to give you a twist on that. It could be spelled like this. J-0-Y. Let nothing come between Jesus and you. Let zero come between Jesus and you. If there's an idol in your life that is taking you away from Jesus, abandon that waste and head to Jesus. I think I asked this question once, but does anyone know what prodigal means when we say the prodigal son? The word prodigal means waste, wasteful, the wasteful son. 
He had it all. But he threw it away. And eventually he came to his senses and he came back to his father's arms. God wants you, prodigal, who have been living your life wastefully, to come back to him so you could experience his bountiful blessings and true joy and fulfillment. He wants to restore the joy of your salvation. So stop drinking from founts that cannot give you satisfaction for your thirst. Jeremiah 2.13, My people have committed two sins against me. They have forsaken me, the fount of living water, and they have built cisterns that cannot hold water. Can you imagine such folly? Instead of turning to the Lord to satisfy our thirst, because he's the fount of living water, we make buckets with holes in them. And we think we're going to satisfy our thirst trying to drink through that. Every time we lift up the bucket with water, it's gone. And we're still thirsty. What should we do? Return to the Lord. Return to the fount of living water. Only he can satisfy your deepest thirst. And finally, pray this for the church and for your loved ones. Pray for abundant harvest that we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.